do justice and love mercy. That's the theme of our current sermon series. Uh, but I did want this just to be something that we talked about. You know, if we're walking with God by the Spirit, then we should expect opportunities to put this into practice. And interestingly, it was while I was preparing the first message in this series last week that an opportunity did present itself. Uh, someone out of the blue brought this huge need to our attention. And I thought, wow, you know, isn't that just like God? It's like, okay, you know, if you're serious about doing justice and loving mercy, well, here is a situation you might consider. And it's a situation that my wife, Emma, and I will personally be responding to, as will others on our leadership team. Uh, but I want to share it with all of you here today. Now, just to say, uh, the situation is very sensitive, and I can't share any specific details because we need to protect the identity of the people concerned. Uh, so you're going to just have to trust me on this. As some of you know, our church and members of our church are involved in many different countries around the world. Well, in one of those countries, someone who is very well known to our church recently became involved with a safe house for women who are uh, escaping a form of slavery. It's not something that's known about publicly. Uh, it's an underground work, which is why this is so confidential. Uh, there's even a kind of secret knock if you're visiting this house, as our friend has done. Uh, there are currently quite a number of women who have sought refuge there. Uh, they came from another poorer country. Their families sent them because uh, they'd been promised work. Uh, they signed an employment contract. But when they arrived, they found that their work was not what they expected. And they found themselves in a form of uh, indentured servitude, uh, where they were forced to work as maids and where the pay, the pay soon dried up. Many have had their passports confiscated and have been subjected to terrible abuse. Physical abuse with beatings, and in many cases, sexual abuse. And we're told that some of the stories are horrific. I mean, beyond belief. Well, a number of these women have managed to escape their employers and they end up hiding on the streets, living rough because there's no one that they can turn to for help. In fact, we heard a story from a pastor that we know in that country, and this is a man I know personally, and he said that one of these women who had escaped actually flagged him down uh, in his car, you know, on the street, pleaded with him to help her. These women have no embassy or authority that they can appeal to in that country. The laws are such that because of the contracts they signed, if they were found and refused to return to work, they would be imprisoned. In fact, prison actually would be a safer option for them. But thankfully, as I said, a number have found refuge at this safe house. The woman who runs the safe house has already enabled about 50 women to leave the country and be reunited with their families. And she works tirelessly to get documentation for them, uh, to get them uh, treatment from the doctors uh, and to take care of these women. You know, what is needed, though, is funds to buy plane tickets to get them home. And, and currently there are a number of these women who right now are waiting to leave the country. Um, and this person that we know so well who is now involved in this work has brought this to our attention, asking whether we can help. Now, I'll give you details of exactly how we can do that at the end of this message. But first of all, why? 
Why would we help? Isn't this someone else's business? Don't we have our own needs closer to home? Should the church be getting involved in this kind of thing? I mean, surely our business is preaching the gospel. And of course, we might want to help personally, I mean, just on humanitarian grounds. But, you know, actually, I think there is a far greater motivation for the church to be involved in issues like this. So let's just start by seeing what God has to say about it. Last week we saw uh, Micah 6, 8 uh, about justice and mercy. And let's just read uh, some other scriptures. Uh, first of all, from another prophet, from Jeremiah. It says this in chapter 22. He says, Listen to this message from the Lord, you King of Judah, sitting on David's throne. Let your attendants and your people listen too. Right? This is for all of God's people. This is what the Lord says. Be fair-minded and just. Do what is right. Help those who have been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. Right? And there's lots of similar exhortations in the prophets. Now let's look at the Psalms. Psalm 82 says, Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Again, there are many verses like that in the Psalms. Uh, you won't find any scriptures where God warns his people about being too focused on justice for the oppressed. Right? But there are plenty that warn us about not caring enough. One more scripture, this time from the Wisdom Book of Proverbs. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. You know, there are sadly many people in the world today who cannot speak up for themselves or defend themselves from injustice. Um, you know, we might think of babies in the womb threatened by abortion or the victims of sex trafficking or refugees fleeing war and persecution. And God tells his people to do what is right, to seek justice, to rescue them, to speak up for them, to be their advocate. An advocate is someone who pleads the cause of another, who uh, represents another person's interests. It's what we see happening in a courtroom, as we heard last week. Now, some might argue that um, you know, these commands were only really applicable to the people of God, you know, that they were required to act justly and show mercy to the needy within their own community, uh, to the orphan and the widow and the, and the foreigner in their midst. And it's true that that was the context for many of these Old Testament scriptures. That's what the people of Israel understood those commands to mean. When God commanded them in Leviticus to love their neighbor, they understood that to mean their own people. But of course, Jesus challenged that parochial thinking in Luke chapter 10, when an expert in the law wanted to justify himself, and he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responded by telling him the parable of the Good Samaritan, which, as we know, shows us that our neighbor could be anyone at all. Right. It could be anyone who is in need of our help, even if that person is from a different people group or even an enemy, as was the case in the parable that Jesus told, where a Samaritan came across a Jewish man on the road who had been beaten up. And as you may know from the story, unlike two others who passed the man by, it was the Samaritan who took care of the physical and the economic needs of this man. 
So this legal expert was seeking to limit the concept of who his neighbor was and who he was obliged to help. But Jesus made it clear, you cannot limit the mercy and justice of God. Uh, not that we can be expected to meet all the needs of the world around us. I mean, the needs are overwhelming. But when a need is presented to us, you know, kind of comes across our path, we should be asking, what does God want us to do, right? This is my neighbor. And Jesus made it clear through his own example that we're not only called to care about someone's spiritual well-being, but for the whole person, for their physical needs too. And of course, the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection will always be of first importance, right? Someone's relationship with God and their eternal destiny must always be of first importance. But it's the gospel that also leads us to serve our neighbor in practical ways. It's for all people uh, with the love and the kindness that we ourselves have experienced from God. Uh, that was certainly how the early church responded to the gospel. Uh, we see in Acts 2, that when Peter preached the good news of Jesus to the crowd, 3,000 people were saved and added to the church. 3,000 people got baptized and filled with the Spirit of God. And what did this Spirit-filled community of believers look like? How did they express their faith? Well, at the end of Acts 2, it says this. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Right? They were healing the sick and, and they were setting people free from demonic oppression. They were taking care of their physical needs. But then it says this, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So they also took care of people's economic needs as well. But here's the thing, it wasn't just within their own community. It started there in the house of God because the church is called to be a counterculture, right? God's new society on earth where uh, we demonstrate what God's kingdom looks like by the way that we live and the way that we treat people. So caring for the poor and the needy within our own church community has to be a priority, but it doesn't end there. As we see in history, the church has been known for its generosity and sacrifice in meeting the needs of unbelievers as well. One of the Roman emperors, Julian, uh, tried to revive paganism in the fourth century AD, but he complained that these uh, older religions were falling to the rising popularity of the Christian faith. And in a letter he wrote to a pagan priest, he mentions what he thought was making Christianity flourish. He said this, he said, it's disgraceful that while the impious Galileans, talking about the Christians, they support their own poor and ours as well, he said, so that all men see that our people don't get aid from us, right? The early Christians clearly didn't discriminate between believing poor or unbelieving poor. They helped whoever was in need because they understood from Jesus that these pagans were also their neighbors fellow human beings made in God's image and therefore to be treated justly and mercifully. And you know, when the Romans threw unwanted babies away like garbage, often because they were disabled or female, it was the Christians who rescued them from the rubbish dumps 
and raise them as their own sons and daughters. They understood from the gospel that God had rescued and adopted them. And so they did the same for others. It flowed out of their experience of the gospel of what God had done for them through Jesus Christ. When a plague ravaged the Roman Empire, most people ran for the hills to get away from the diseased and the dying. But again, it was the Christians who stayed behind and treated them with dignity. They cared for the sick and they buried the dead. Some even got sick themselves and died right alongside them. Why? Because these were their neighbors and they were prepared to risk their lives to meet their needs because it's what Jesus had done for them. He gave up his life so that we might be healed. So, when our church is presented with the need of these abused women who God seems to have just brought across our path, who have suffered a terrible, terrible injustice, who need rescuing from evil men and restored to their loved ones, but who have no one to speak up for them, right, except for this brave lady has provided them refuge, I can't help thinking these are our neighbors and we cannot ignore them. They are vulnerable and helpless and they need advocates those who will take up their cause, who will speak up for them before the Father and meet their needs. Because isn't that what Jesus did for us? Jesus is our advocate. As it says in 1 John 2, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. When we were perishing and needed rescuing, he stood in the gap for us. He interceded for us. He took up our cause before the Father, paying the price for our freedom with his own blood to redeem us from our slavery to Satan's sin and death. And even now, the Bible says he's still interceding for us. So let us then, in response, intercede for these women, both in prayer and in our actions, right? Let's take up their cause. Let's pray for justice to be done uh, and to see God's mercy at work as we get them back to their families. It will cost $600 to get a plane ticket for each woman. Uh, we'll be giving the money directly to our contact there who will be purchasing the plane tickets. I will tell you now that there are at least 20 women needing to leave before the end of March when the grace period ends and the authorities could send the women back to their abusers or they risk being imprisoned. There are also the other ongoing costs of the safe house for food, clothing, getting treatment for the women and so on. So if you're able to give anything at this time, and please don't give under pressure, right? This is not something we should be imposing on people, right? The desire has to come from you, right? I'm just bringing it to your attention. Right? If you're able and you feel compelled to give money to meet this need, then you can make your checks payable to our church, New Frontiers Church. And right on the memo line, write uh, Mission AP Fund. Mission AP Fund, right? Or if you want to give online through our website, uh, newfrontierschurch.com, there'll be a drop down menu of categories. And again, just select Mission AP Fund. But whether you're able to give financially or not, you know, we can all pray. So let's also intercede for this situation in prayer. Pray for these women, for their safety and for others who are still being abused. Pray that they may have courage to leave their jobs. Pray for the money needed to pay for the flights and the needs of the safe house. Uh, pray that the grace period would be extended beyond March. 
a pray for the employment laws to be changed. Uh, there's actually high level discussions taking place right now about this. Our prayers could make the difference, right? Do justice and love mercy. This is one way we can put this into practice right now. But maybe God will bring someone else across your path this week. Maybe a neighbor where you live or in your workplace or on the street, someone he wants you to help, right? There might be a cup of coffee, uh, a word of encouragement, an act of kindness. It might mean uh, speaking up for someone, advocating for them or interceding for them in prayer. May the Holy Spirit lead us into the good works that God has prepared for us. May he give us compassion for the people that we encounter. And may he move us to treat them in the way that God, through Christ, has treated us, redeemed and rescued by the grace and mercy of God. Do justice and love mercy. God bless you this week. And now let's go and be a blessing to others.